0: Totally Football Show, Euro edition. Ronaldo in his knickers, it must be another win for the old lady in Turin. As Juve get their number nine dream, we salute the senora and ask who's going to stop her next time. Plus... Return of the Pippo, our nomination for biggest VAR nightmare ever, and more smashing cup action than when Zenit picked their trophy up with French Coupe News and Mbappé Blues. It's the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. (laughs) Yes, in the words of Gianni Morandi, Siamo ancora qui, noi due, noi soli. James Horncastle, lovely to see you. Sono qui. <laughs> yeah, excellent. <laughs> Bundesliga's done, Liga's done, Ligue 1 didn't even bother coming back, just City Hour remains, and that's why James and I will be having a chat, although Jules will be along in a bit to tell us all about his holidays and Friday's Cup drama and how Kylian Mbappé's feeling. For everyone else... Uh, we've got some solid gold content uh, for you, haven't we,
1: James? Solid gold, in fact, yes, we do. What is that? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'll tell you, there's the return of Pippo and Zaghi, and as I mentioned, Juve winning their ninth straight title. And uh, who's going to stop them winning 10 straight titles next season and why? Because that's going to happen. Hmm? Uh, let's start, anyway, with
2: the game that sealed it. You're listening to the Totally Football Show with James Richardson, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. And if you're not yet a subscriber to The Athletic, make sure you check out their coverage of each and every Premier League club by taking out a free 30-day trial by heading to theathletic.com slash totally. <laughs> che inizia il tiro rete della Juventus che passa in vantaggio esattamente al minuto 52 nel corso del primo tempo indovinate chi Cristiano Ronaldo Yes
0: indeed Juve with an actual victory only their second since the restart beating Sampdoria 2-0 All right James Horncastle uh, first off uh, finally they found a way to get Cristiano Ronaldo to let Pjanic take free kicks <laughs>
1: They did. And it was a wonderful training ground worked kind of move that uh, ultimately uh, led the game uh, to go into Juventus' direction. Because uh, once more, up until that point, they they dominated the ball, but didn't really create anything clear cut. Um, And yeah, you could see Cristiano really wanted to score because, you know, what had happened earlier in the day was Immobile had scored a hat trick, which took him even further clear at the uh, top of the scoring charts but I think really you could see in his reaction it was quite an angry reaction to scoring that I think the team as a whole haven't appreciated the reception of this kind of imminent and now confirmed title and you know they could have wrapped it up earlier in the week in Udine and didn't um and that is I think one of the reasons why this the Scudetto has kind of attracted more criticism than celebration in in, in that it feels the kind of most underwhelming of of the nine that they've achieved so far.
0: All right. That goal, though, that opening goal was quite overwhelming. Tell us about that.
1: Well, it's a wonderful move with Pjanic kind of taking kind of a no-look pass to Cristiano, who his movement allowed him to be completely in space and uh, just a uh, colpo al biliado. You know, it was like a snooker kind of shot into the bottom corner uh, from from Cristiano, they went in one nil. What at halftime, and as we've seen in recent weeks, that doesn't mean Juventus are going to win games because they've often given up those leads. You know, against uh, Sassuolo, against uh, against Milan, and Sam did pretty well in the second half. Juventus needed Chesney to make a couple of saves, and then you know ultimately they saw the game out and and won it comfortably. You know, and you you get the feeling that it was a relief. To a lot of the players, which, you know, I I think there is this idea outside of of Italy that it's all very comfortable for Juventus. You know, you can predict that they'll win the title in August and that's what they do. But um, you could tell that uh, this one had got under their skin a little bit. They were just pleased to have got over the line. Not vintage stuff, as you say, they've conceded
0: more goals than any other Scudetto winner since uh, 1961, in fact. It's not... (laughs) a typical Juve season, as you mentioned, uh, the defeat when the title was there for the taking on Thursday against Udinese. Not holding on to leads has been a real issue, notably the recent uh, 2-0 lead then becoming a 4-2 defeat against Milan. And the sense, I I guess, that this is a a title won because of their individual strengths and errors in, in the opposition rather than Necessarily a triumph of Sarismo. It was interesting his quote in the locker room afterwards with the players.
1: (laughs) Yeah, where he said, You guys must be really, really good to have won under me. Um, I was pleased for him because he's come under a lot of stick, particularly the last four months um, with how they came back after Christmas when they were, they'd uh, lost the Super Cup to Lazio, they'd also lost to them in the league. Uh, there's a real kind of sense of jeopardy that going into the lockdown that the momentum was with Lazio. And it's clear that Sarri hasn't been able to uh, introduce his ideas and get them across and get the team playing the kind of football that we uh, hope to see, um, which is the football he put on show at Napoli. And I think uh, the other thing to consider with Sarri is I think everyone wanted to see him win a league title, but maybe not with Juventus. They wanted to see him win a league title playing the kind of football that he did at Napoli, which he hasn't he hasn't done. And for that reason, I, I think that's maybe why the reception of it is kind of quite cool at the moment and 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 has 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 forgotten that he was maybe due this on the basis that his coaching career started 30 years ago. It wasn't even non-league football, it was Sunday league football. And I think that that rise is is incredible because I don't think anyone's ever handed anything to him on a plate to just to get into Serie A. He had to get Empoli promoted. It wasn't like Silvio Berlusconi, you know, seeing Palmer play well against his Milan side and thinking, you know, what I'm going to hire, uh, Arrigo Sacchi. It was, you know, he had to get there uh, on his own and and then kind of win the trust of Napoli and then Chelsea and then Juventus the to get these big jobs. So. On that basis, I'm I'm pretty pleased for him. Yeah, the
0: man who quit his job in banking in 1990 to have a bang at uh, <laughs> managing football, now winning his first ever title at the helm of one of the biggest clubs in the world. Just speaking of history, uh, James, you know, back in the day, of course, Juve were, were very dominant. They had uh, Luciano Moggi, they had La Cupola, and we all know how all of that worked. But even in, in in those days, even in Monty's Wildest Fantasies, that old Juventus were never this successful. They never made it nine scudetti in a row. So how has the current model risen to be so relentless? What what's been what's been their success story?
1: So I think you have to give credit to Andrea Agnelli, who hasn't been there all the time. You know, he basically was elected president in 2010 and you know what he inherited was a club that as you mentioned had been relegated in the calciopoli scandal um mochi giraldo bettiga all the directors from that time in you know, 90s to into the early 2000s resigned and a new board was put in place which wasn't successful okay they got the the club back into Serie A uh, from the second division And they had a couple of years under Claudio Ranieri where they were at least in the top four. And then they tried to go big signing, what, Diego. Caboli Gili was the president. You had uh, Jean-Claude Blanc, chief executive, who's now at Paris Saint-Germain. And Alessio Secchio was the sporting director. And it was a disaster. They finished seventh. Agnelli comes back. They recapitalized the club with the backing of, of Exor, which is the holding company, which the Agnelli family has a stake in but they don't spend big by any means because after Caltropoli, their revenues have kind of contracted they're not in the Champions League in what four of the five years that they come back I think from uh, from the second division Uh, their stars have left and a lot of their kind of existing sponsors and commercial partners have basically renegotiated their existing deals for smaller money and so let's not forget that this all started out with Agnelli appointing Gigi Del Neri (laughs) And that didn't work out. They finished seventh again. And the Milan clubs at, at that time, AC Milan had won the Champions League in two thousand seven. They would win the league again in two thousand eleven with Zlatan and all the, all the all the other big names from that two thousand seven era. Inter had won the treble. Both of those clubs were making a hell of a lot more money than than Juventus were. They had bigger wage bills. And Conte goes to this guy whose only success had ever been in the second division, which was Antonio Conte. You know, his, his only experience in Serie A had been, what, brief six-week period at Atalanta, which was a disaster. And they won the league completely against expectation by free transfers, really. And that was, that was the story for the first three or four years of, of, of this rise of Juventus, was them doing business on frees and Pirlo and Pogba being the main ones. Conte bringing this kind of new innovative style of football which made them successful and him just being insatiable wanting to win every single league game. The BBC which was that defence with Chiellini, Bonucci, Barzelli and Buffon behind them being the real cornerstone of that team. And I would say probably the decline of the Milan clubs at that time as well. You know where you have Inter selling the club, Moratti sells it to Tohir, he then sells it to Suning. You've got Bersconi, he sells it to Lee Yong Hong, and now they've sold it to Elliot. Those two have faded as Juventus have risen, and I think Juventus have really benefited from making all the right calls in that time, be it Conti and Allegri. To be in the Champions League every year and to go deep in the Champions League under Allegri, I think that's the transformation. That's where this economic stratification comes, where they are so much richer than everybody else that the margin for error is bigger than it was before, which I think has has kind of helped Sarri this year. Because when they sold Pogba for, what, £105 and they got to the Champions League final as well, their revenue-making ability went through the roof. And all of a sudden, Juventus became a super club again in the way that they hadn't been really from 2006 to 2014. Um, so it was all so Pogba. I, think... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so it kind of was. It's true. That that sale for, of
0: a mm. player they picked up for, for nothing has been an absolutely key factor. How interesting.
1: Yeah. No, right. I, I think people look back on this nine years quite casually and think that Juventus have always been this strong and this powerful when they really haven't. Um, you know they've they've had to earn the position that they've got themselves into, which now very much um, is is that of a club that is, uh, I think, considering itself up there with Bayern Munich, Manchester United, Barcelona, and Real Madrid again as like this kind of group of clubs that decides the future of the game. When in 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 reality, uh, they were miles away from that in two thousand eleven, miles
0: away. Well, the target is now. Lincoln of Gibraltar's European record of 14 straight (laughs) titles, and I'm not entirely joking about that. Who's going to stop him? We'll be talking about that very soon. But next up, let's bother our pal Julien Laurent on his vacances to hear about another plucky underdog story Paris Saint Germain.
2: You're listening to The Totally Verbal Show with James Richardson. La première... ah, et le but le but par Neymar Comme à face à Neymar score France ah, c'est, Paris. C'est All
3: le right
0: listeners say hello to our friend Julien Laurence.
3: Jules. Bonjour Jimbo bonjour everyone. Oui. How's the holiday going? Very good thank you. It's really hot and sunny and oh. it's good to be here. Where are you? In ile de france so it's like a small island of uh, La Rochelle on the Atlantic side of the country. Um, yeah, so a lot of swimming pool and uh, going to the beach on the beach and the sea and stuff like that. So it's really cool.
0: Mm, great. Okay. Uh, now, uh, exciting news from uh, French football: Paris Saint-Germain won the cup on Friday. Were you there? There were, there were five thousand fans there, Jules.
3: There were 5,000 fans, and there was also the President Macron, who was there. Uh, Anne Hidalgo, the mayor of Paris, the, the head of the French Federation, Noël Le as well. So all the all the big names, if you want, plus uh, some guests from the uh, the French NHS, for example. The Saint Etienne fans decided not to go because they thought uh, they had 900 tickets and they thought that was not enough and the, the PSG Ultras didn't go either because they felt that it would have been too hard to choose amongst themselves who was going and who wasn't going. But you still had quite a good atmosphere, although it felt a bit strange because it's, it's an 80,000-seater stadium and you only have 5,000 people on each side of the, of the pitch, really. No one in the, in the curves, if you want, uh, or behind the goals, but it was still a bit strange.
0: OK. Now, uh, the game got underway and Saint-Étienne uh, gave Paris Saint-Germain a bit of a scare. No, Boinges uh, hitting the post early doors.
3: I have to say they were far more aggressive. They were well-organised. They pressed really high. They had a lot of energy. They have a lot of very young, talented player in their team, which I think helps if you want to play a high-press, high-energy style of football where you, you chase everything and you run after every ball and you, you almost man-mark every PSG player. And I think because PSG maybe will be rusty, having not played a competitive match for so long. Maybe they took a bit the game for granted, considering they'd beaten saint before in the season 6-1 and 4-0 in the two games they played. So maybe they were not as up for it as they should have been. But Neymar, Mbappé, Di Maria Nicardi, the front four, the, those fantastic four, were really quiet. And it seemed that the, the team was, was cut in two, really. You had the defenders who were a bit struggling against the Saint-Étienne players who were really up for it and the four up front who didn't really care about defending so much, about trying to trail back or getting the ball back up at the pitch. So it started so well for Saint-Étienne until PSG and Kylian Mbappé just did something special.
0: Okay, and Moulin, the Saint-Étienne keeper, had a bit of a hand in that as well.
3: Yeah, it was, I mean... It really came out of nothing, the the PSG goal, uh, Mbappé playing a very quick one-two with Di Maria coming through in the middle. It it was so quick that you could not stop him, had a shot. And Jesse Moulin, who for most of his career was the number two at Saint-Étienne, he was never number one. And Claude Puel has decided towards the end of of last season, or this season, whatever, uh, to start him ahead of Ruffier and put Ruffier on the bench. Uh, and, And Moulin now being number one, and he did really well in the game overall. And later on, he had a wonderful save on a Di Maria volley. But on the goal even, he stopped the Mbappé shot first and then Neymar, on the rebound, scored the goal.
0: Right, so Saint-Etienne were roofierless and, and PSG were ruthless. Uh, not all good, though, <laughs> exactly. for PSG. Uh, that crunching challenge by Loic Perrin on Kylian Mbappé and a spectacular brawl that followed left Mbappé hobbling off the field and then returning for the trophy lift on crutches. And, of course, with Atalanta waiting in the final eight of the Champions League, a lot of concern about his health. What's the word about Mbappé?
3: The word is that he has a, a very serious sprained ankle. So first, of the fear was that the ligaments were damaged, uh, because if you look at it the way, uh, I mean, Perrin, is a. If we could just have a couple of minutes on him, he's a he's a really like la- really nice guy, really good player, not aggressive. He's a he's a centre back, but more by default than anything else because he's quite short and not very quick. But he reads the game so well. He's very good technically. And he's one of the greatest Saint-Étienne players of all time, really. And he he played that final, but he was still considering his future, i.e. I- this could be his last game forever. And then he retires and start working for the club. Or maybe he would play that game and depending on how he felt after the game, maybe he decided to to keep going for one more season. Right now, I can tell you that he has decided to stop his career mm-hmm. and probably that, that red card and, and the tackle on Mbappé has decided for him because he was mortified afterwards. He, he just wanted to get the ball and Mbappé was just so quick on, on his turn after his first touch, after his control, that Berin went for the ball, completely mistimed the whole challenge and got Mbappé's ankle caught in between his two legs his two tackling legs if you want and he was really mortified the brawl happened because cl- very clearly you could see that it was a really 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 bad tackle and then Marquinhos and Paradis especially Paredes being a bit of the cop for that PSG team uh, started going in and going like why did you do that and you could see on Mbappe reaction on the pitch how he, he looked so much in pain that you could you could sense there was something bad and I think that's why they had a that little fight or argy-bargy um, first it was a yellow card then the ref went to C V R on the screen decided naturally and logically to change it to red card. and the word now is that Mbappé had uh, scans on Friday night straight after the final after the, the, the trophy celebration and again on Saturday morning he will have some more tomorrow morning on Tuesday morning they were very relieved that there was no ligament damage but he's still a, a bad, bad sprained ankle and I think it's really touch and go for him to to play that at an enter game or at least from the start, he might be able to to play some part of it, a bit like against Dortmund in the second leg of the last 16, where he was not fit to start and and came on late. Because if he's let's say if he's only 50% or 60%, do you take the risk of starting him and maybe he gets injured or do you play the game and with a bit of luck you might not have you might not need him you could be like i don't know let's say two nil up with 15 minutes to go and then you don't need to bring him on or you might need to bring him on but maybe just for the last 15 minutes which it could last even if he's only 50 or 60 percent fit it's a tricky one but there's eight 17 days now or 16 days so they will go he, he will have loads of treatment and see how the the injury evolves
0: OK. James Horncastle was really disappointed that uh, Moulin didn't pick up a, a red in that brawl. He was certainly uh, involved in the thick of it there. What did you make, Jules, of PSG's uh, performance, though, against Saint Etienne, looking ahead at Atalanta? These, these games, the friendlies that they've had, and, and the two cup finals, there's another one coming up, all part of their preparation, trying to be ready for the very informal Atalanta. How do you think they're doing?
3: I mean, the friendlies, the three games they played, I think they scored 20 goals and and didn't consider one or something like that. So I don't think we can... There's nothing to take away from that. Uh, On Friday night, though, I I thought it was a good test because Saint-Etienne, in all respect, played a bit like Atalanta in the sense that they were really, really high on the pitch. They pressed really well, really high. They did a lot of clever running, not crazy headless chicken running but you know like clever running which is what Atalanta do and PSG could not beat that press they could not beat that press at all for the first 45 minutes they had to play long and then didn't win that ball didn't win the second ball either and the the Etienne the waves were coming back if you can't beat sainte Etienne's press you're not going to beat Atalanta's press so let's hope that when that game comes against Atalanta they'll be more ready they can find more solutions to beat the press which is a bit more movement of the ball for example a bit more willing to be able to, you know, run and offer solutions to the guy who's on the ball, which was not the case at all on Friday. And again, maybe it's because they were a bit rusty. Maybe they were not that bothered because eventually they knew they were going to win. And and they did. They did win without playing well at all. But it was enough in a way. And I think they know that Atalanta, it won't be enough if you just turn up. So I'm hoping the attitude would be different. But they, they were far from their best and far from doing enough that then could enable them to beat Atalanta, for example, if Atalanta are on a very good day. When's the next cup final? Friday against Lyon, again at the Stade de France. Again, with 5,000 people. They were hoping that you could have more fans because everything went well on Friday, but they decided not to increase the capacity. And obviously, without Kylian Mbappe, uh, to say the least, no Kerrera right back as well. So, young Colin Dagba will probably start. Uh, and you could expect uh, Lyon sorry, to play a bit like Saint-Étienne. I think they will go with three at the back, like Saint-Étienne did. All those are were more far the back, but the way they, they were pressing, it looks sometimes like that, and and I think they would press really high Saint lyon with with a lot of energy. So let's see if this time PSG are a bit better to to play against that press.
0: Okay, Jules, you get back to the pool and all that on Lille Dore, and look forward to speaking to you soon. Thank you, guys. Yes, have a good week, everyone. Julian Laurence. Well, after this, let's get back to Serie A and Serie B. Actually, a quick word on the uh, teams coming up, and also. We'll have a quick look at the contenders maybe to end Juve's run next time around.
2: On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on the Athletic app, this is the Totally Football Show with James Richardson. City A more goals than ever this season. More, I think, since the restart than any
0: other European league. Not everyone happy though. Owen CP sums it up by saying what has happened to City A in the past 10, 20 years? I miss the competitiveness of the mighty Milan clubs, Lazio, Roma, Parma, Fiorentina. Uh, Yeah, you know, the grand old days of the Settisorelli. So let's have a quick check then on how the contenders to end Juve's run are doing and whether we might see a a re-flourishing of that competitiveness in the 2020-2021 season. Crikey, that's a lot to say. Anyway, uh, first off, James, are the main contenders Inter?
1: (laughs) I think so. I think uh, Conte will be disappointed with himself um, this season because just as we judge Sarri on his style of football and Sarri hasn't been able to really get that across at Juventus this season, Conte is associated with winning uh, from day one and he hasn't done that into this season, uh, even though Juventus have looked vulnerable. And not capitalising on that, I think, is has hurt him, really. But, I, th- you know, with him at the helm, you can guarantee that he will be knocking on the door every day in what little off-season Inter have to insist that they, they get big signings over the line. They've already brought Hakimi in and I think they've they've got other plans as well. So I think it has to be Inter. um We'll have to see what happens with Lautaro, whether he stays, but Alexis has done very well since the restart. Lukaku's had a very good first season. I don't think they're far away.
0: OK, Lukaku with a brace this weekend in a 3-0 win over Genoa and Sanchez on the score sheet as well. What happens with him, though? Because he has massive wages, which currently Man United are funding half of. Are intending to give him a deal at his advanced
1: age? So... On Friday, I'm led to believe that uh, there were talks between uh, intermediaries acting on on, on behalf of, of Alexis and um, one of the two clubs to see. Because I think Inter open minded; they would like to they would like to keep him. And I think one of the reasons why talks are going on is because they want him for all of the Europa League, uh, which is to come. At the moment, the only agreement that they have with United is he'll play the game against Getafe, and then after that, he's due to return to Carrington for training. Um, so Inter, I think, have seen enough um, to want Alexis. I think ideally they would like to have him on loan for another year, but the problem is is that United are back in the Champions League, which means his wages which were cut 25% when they didn't qualify for that competition last year, pop back up to being what they were when he signed, which is United or Champions League club. You get paid this, which makes it an even more expensive deal for Inter to do and, and more expensive for United to to hold on to him. So I think there'll be some kind of a compromise here. Uh, he's going to have to take a pretty big wage cut or agree to spread his wages out over a long period if he is to get a move to a club which has shown faith in him. Um, he's got regular game time and he's kind of shown, certainly since the restart, that uh, there are flashes of the old Sanchez there that maybe Conte can do with him what he did to Carlos Tevez when Tevez joined uh, Juventus all those years ago. Mm.
0: That defeat for Genoa means that they... Meanwhile, are still with a slight risk of taking the last relegation place alongside Brescia and Spall, but they have a four-point margin over Lecce with two games to go. Meanwhile, Milan and Atalanta, the two form teams since the restart, met this weekend. What do you reckon on those two teams' chances next time around? I
1: think Atalanta are probably the, the team that I look at after Inter as being the one that's most likely to challenge Juventus. I think... You know, the last couple of years of Allegri's time at Juve, Juventus were not considered the best team that was Sarri's Napoli. And I, I, that hasn't really changed since Sarri became Juventus' coach because now when that debate happens, the best team is, is, is considered to be Atalanta. I think they'll keep this group of players together. Um, they're back in the Champions League um, as well. Um, they may yet win it. <laughs> um, and I think depending on what they do, you know, in Portugal... Let's say if the amazing happens and they do win it, I mean, that, that, would, that would certainly lead to a situation where they could focus on the league next year and think, let's try and do a Leicester. I mean, I still think that's unlikely, but you know, it's, a, it's a team that, uh, unlike Juventus, for example, hasn't, uh, has a clear identity. Everyone knows how the team plays. I think if they can just shore it up at the back a little bit sometimes, they could definitely win the league. Absolutely. I mean, I, in in some respects, I think Atalanta are the biggest threat to Juventus' crown. Even though Inter will keep going and spending lots and lots of money in the summer, and they still have a very expensive coach who who has won stuff. But yeah, that's that's how I see it, James.
0: They've been rotating uh, their lineup ahead of their Champions yeah. League clash with PSG, and a one-one draw for them against Milan uh, this weekend. Chalhoublu opening this scoring. Donnarumma then saving an Atalanta penalty before Zapata. Equalise. What What about Milan's prospects with purely staying on, with the continuity, what realistically do you see
1: them doing? Well, I think it's a young team which has spent the last year learning in sometimes difficult circumstances. I think they'll be better for that experience. I think, um, yeah, the team looks really well put together now. A, because of the recruitment that they did in the summer gradually coming good because so much of it was young. Every player that they signed last summer was 25 or under. And also because Pioli's basically found the system which gets the best out of all of them. So I'm curious to see how these guys grow because I think there's there's more to come from players like Leao, for example. But I still think Milan's aim next season will be to be Champions League rather than to challenge for the Scudetto. Um yeah, I think the teams, the other teams that we're curious about probably are Napoli. Napoli were the biggest disappointment, at least in terms of uh, a title challenge this year because Ancelotti went into the season saying that second was no longer enough. So God knows what he thinks of seventh place. But I'm curious to see what Gattuso can do over a full season with them. And then Roma, we don't know what's going to happen there with the takeover, whether that's going to that's gonna go ahead or not. You know, I mean, the freaking group did essentially 90% of the job of 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 getting this takeover done. So I think if 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 they can agree on a price at some stage, uh, which is still going to be very difficult to do given what Pallotta wants for the club then yeah there might be some kind of change there. Lazio can they back up what they've done this season? Was it this season or never do you think? I I kind of feel it was. You know, I, I feel bad for them because I think had the season remained in normal circumstances, they would have been able to keep up what they were doing. Um, but because they had to all of a sudden play every three days and suffered more injuries in the week before the season restarted than they had in the last 10 years, it kind of made things problematic for them. But they'll be in the Champions League next year and I don't think there's a competition that they can necessarily overlooking the way that they did the Europa League this season because I think it felt like quite a conscious decision on Lazio's part to basically do a little bit in those competitions, but if they don't get through, fine, and then we'll just focus on the league. I I don't think they can do that in the Champions League next year.
0: All right. Well, still to come in today's Total Football Show very shortly, we'll be talking about what Napoli got up to this weekend and an extraordinary match with Sassuolo in which the VAR booth was busier than ever. We'll also... (laughs) be saluting Simone Inzaghi's brother Pippo who returns to Serie A, and the other side coming up with his Benevento. Right, Napoli. Contenders before. Contenders possibly in the future. They've got the best accounts in the league financially. you get trophies uh, the for only- that, James? No, <laughs> but they are able to go out and sign players like Victor Ozymen and they are having a storming into this campaign they faced inform Sassuolo this weekend in what was a remarkable encounter uh, napoli scored first 8 minutes in uh, Husai with his first for the club then juricic equalizes for the nero verdi oh but it's called back for var okay then again 4 minutes later he scores but it's called back for offside from var no problem <laughs> chicco caputo puts one into the net 2 minutes into the second half Nope, it's called back again for offside by VAR. But then the gold talisman, Domenico Berardi, puts it in. And this time, it's called back for offside <laughs> by VAR. Instead, Alan makes it 2-0 for Napoli in stoppage time. I'm my word. What are they saying in Sassuolo about <laughs> VAR?
1: Well, you know what? His interview was very magnanimous afterwards. He was like, oh, you know, it is frustrating, but I think VAR... Has made football better, which I mean is a very kind of countercultural kind of way of looking at it. After after seeing four goals chalked off for offside, I mean I, I don't think to be honest there was any problem with any of the decisions. Mm. that was the thing. It was just uh It's just it's a game of fine margins, uh, James. Uh, life's a game of inches, uh, mm. and uh, and Napoli. I'm not surprised that they went on and got the second goal in the end because I think Sassuolo <laughs> Sassuolo got to that stage thinking. Well, we're just not going to score today, are we? So, mm.
0: Well, um, from a game of inches to a game of ink, quick mention for Matteo Politano's incredible new piece of artwork. Full colour face of a leopard that's right across his back, lap to lap with these two blue feline eyes staring out from across his shoulder blades. I, I was astonished. I mean, obviously, following football, you see a lot of tattoos. But this is something <laughs> quite extraordinary it's no Teletubby put it that way
1: this is a work of art this is I mean it's phenomenal um, all in proportion as well it's outstanding whoever has done that if I were to ever get a tat I'm going to Naples for this guy this is I think there is a guy in Naples who is, is, is famous for doing this I think he was like Lavezzi's ink guy
0: I don't know if Politano is going to add the rest of the cougar to the rest of his body, how he's going to deal with the, the tail, for example, or anything like that. But I'm not sure. There were some suggestions that Gattuso, who's been pretty high on keeping the team focused, keeping them really driving towards this end of season, because even though they're mathematically sure of their uh, Europa League spot next year because of winning the Italian Cup, they've got this massive game with Barcelona still to come. There were some suggestions that maybe he felt that wasn't the best use of Politano's time off well there you go it is an extraordinary looking tattoo if that's your bag then do check it out well finally then for today mentioned that Spal are down Lecce probably going to be joining them on Brescia too but some good news for football in the south is coming up from Serie B are Benevento and Crotone the witches and the Pythagorans two of the greatest (laughs) nicknames in the game
1: yeah no, exactly. I mean, Benevento, coached by Super Pippo, um, have completely dominated this league in a way that I don't think it's been dominated ever before because they, they were promoted with, I'm exaggerating, but it felt like 10 games to spare. They had like a 25-point lead at one stage um, and kind of making kind of all kinds of weird moves in the transfer market there. They're looking at getting Gervinho on a three-year deal. They, they thought they had Loic Remy. And then Loic Remy had a medical and didn't pass it. Uh, remember when they were last in Serie a, in January, they signed Sandro and Sanya. That was that. That's kind of, again, what they're doing this time. Last time,
0: they set that record for the worst start to a season for any team in any of Europe's top five leagues ever. They lost their first 14 games and they ended their their streak by beating (laughs) Milan with a headed goal by their goalkeeper. (laughs) Yes.
1: Yeah, which was uh, extraordinary. That was Gattuso's first game in charge of... of, Sorry, uh, they
0: didn't beat them, but it was a 2-2 draw, but it was a moral victory.
1: Yeah, and I would say that that is one of the great goals to watch with uh, Titanic commentary. That's. (laughs) That remains the, I think, peak of that genre. And then, yeah, Crutone back as well, after a couple of years.
0: Similarly, they, the Pitagorici, uh, and you can explain their nickname in a second, were were great fun last time as well.
1: Yeah, they were. Well, they had the great escape, the greatest of great escapes, under Davide Nicola, who then um, said, well, he promised that he would cycle all the way from Crutone to his home in Turin. If they, if they survive, which, I mean, it is a, a Giro d'Italia, that is from, from one end to the other and they were so far gone in January that no one would sign for them as well that was the thing, and they stayed up, so yeah, magnificent to see uh, them back as well I think they've got a, a Brit, he's a teenager, he's called Zach Ruggiero, who's, um, who's this kind of really blonde I think number 10 um, who I think is One of his parents is English, one of his parents is Italian. He's made a couple of appearances for them this season. So, yeah, uh, good to see more representation from the South. Also, Maxi Lopez has been playing up front for them. One goal in 14 games. It's just a shame he's no longer in the league because we'd had another wonder derby um, and, you know, we've been deprived of that. It's a shame.
0: I'm sure there'll be other things to wonder about uh, in the new campaign. Peter Gorici, of course, because... Uh, that whole area of, of uh, well, southern Italy, essentially, was was largely part of ancient Greece's kind of diaspora. Um, Naples is, is Naples because Neapolis and, and, you know, pretty much all those. Uh, but anyway, Pythagoras's town was Crotone. That's where he did all his, you know, he worked his angles. Superb. Well, lots to look forward to then when the next campaign rolls around. When is the Serie A start date? Have they settled on that, that yet? No,
1: but I think it will fall in line with um, the other ones around the continent. So I think September 12th is being talked about. But you know what Serie A is like, James. We'll find out maybe five days before the start of the season and the clubs mm. will as well. So, Got to
0: love that improvisational style. Uh, great. Well, that brings us to the end of today's uh, Toodley Football Show Thanks for being with us, listener. Thanks to Jules for taking a break from uh, Les Vacances. And uh, James, uh, for you, for being with us and producer Charlie. We'll be rounding up uh, the final day of the City House season post next Sunday, so do join us for that. Uh, For now, though, from all of us here, it's goodbye.